Welcome to the arena, where sometimes the hardest part is showing up. My name is Linda McLaughlin. Thank you for being here. My guest today is J.S. Cornway. Many of my guests speak about how being courageous is about living their truth. But how does one actually live that way? The type of courage that J.S. describes in this episode is, for some, the most challenging. I hope you'll share this episode with someone who can benefit from hearing it. Before we begin, I acknowledge that I record this podcast on the First Nations territories of the Erie, Huron-Wendat, Haudenosaunee, Mississaugas, and the Chonadon of the so-called Neutral Tribes. Hamilton is also adjacent to the Haldeman Treaty Territory. Thank you for being here. This is episode 52. Welcome to the podcast. I've put together a bit of an intro for you. Mm. Let me maybe throw that out and we'll get started with that. Let's hear it. (laughs) Jean-Sébastien Cornoyer, perhaps better known as JS. You're a son, a brother, husband, and father of five children. Yes. You're a venture capitalist and entrepreneur. You're the co-founder of Real Ventures and Montreal Startup, early stage venture capital firms that back entrepreneurs and build ecosystems in which they thrive. You've primarily worked with entrepreneurs who are using AI, blockchain technologies, AR and VR, and synthetic biology to improve happiness, human creativity, and communication, and transform or disrupt the pillars of our society. In 2018, you had a profound experience that shifted your perspective of yourself, your relationships, and the world around you. You've loved your work, but are now taking on a slightly different role in the company that you founded. Welcome to the arena, JS. Thank you. So how has your day been so far? It's been, it's been great. Yeah? Yeah. I must admit that I'm having good days for a long time now. How would you define a good day? A good day for me is a day where I learn something or um, unlearn something. So the, the learning is really more a noticing of a pattern that is present, that is creating friction in my experience. Mm-hmm. And so it's becoming aware of a story that I'm telling myself. And with the awareness of the story really comes the learning which is the, and the learning is not a mind learning, a conceptualization of something, but it's Mm -hmm. more visceral learning. It's like an integration of a new perspective. Now that I know that the story is present in my life, I can see where it is always present and how it's creating friction. And once I see it, it's gone. So it's gone, meaning it, no longer is present in my interactions. Now I still see it. I can see that story being played out in other people, let's say having a conversation, but it no longer affects my experience of the present moment. Do you have an example? I mean, is it an awareness of impatience or self-worth or something like that? Yeah, absolutely. So it's all of these things. And for me, it's a lot around judgment of other people. Mm -hmm. So I spend most of my life 
completely disconnected from my own being. So really not feeling emotions of any kind. Like I, I used to say, you know, I'm this straight line. So I don't have highs, I don't have lows. And I was proud of that. That was my, my ammo was that I was undisturbable. And some people even thought I was peaceful, but I was just apathetic. I, I was in a complete disconnection with myself. So a lot of what I see for me in my, my consciousness is uh, like I spent my entire life judging other people. So it was the seeing of these different patterns or stories into other people. I was very good at saying, oh, this person is this. He's a liar or he's trying to manipulate me or he's, he's not seeing that he's super angry. He's not conscious of that. Like he, he thinks it's normal. And so I was seeing it in other people but not understanding that whatever I see in others is just a reflection of myself. So that's where I'm coming from. The awakening or the shift in perspective on my end comes from taking radical responsibility for my experience. So whatever I see, I notice in the world, I know it points right back to a part of myself that I'm neglecting or that I refuse to see or accept. To me, it's often in... I'm having a conversation with someone, and it's very often my wife is my greatest teacher. We've been together for 30 years. All of my patterns, all of the things that people would call the negative aspects of myself, the shadows, like I've built them with her. So she's showing me the truth every day through my interactions with her. And every day I have a conversation with her where yesterday I judge her for the behavior she's had, like, oh, she's she's not open enough. That's a big thing. And now this morning, I had an interaction with her where she said the same thing she said yesterday. I can't remember the exact words, but I did not react to it. Oh, yeah, I was trying to explain to her something related to my work. And my experience was that she jumped to conclusions right away and wasn't listening to me. And in the past, I would have said, she's not open. And I may have shut down. But instead, this morning, I had this, it, it was space. I w it felt spacious. Mm -hmm. And as she was saying it, I was like, wow, okay, I, I can hold this. And I, can, I created more space. And then I asked her questions. So tell me more about your perspective. And she spoke a little bit more. And then she asked me a question. And then I was able to come in with what I, I really was trying to explain to her. And it was this beautiful, harmonious interaction that yesterday would have been like a, a clash like this. And that's basically, I have multiple of those now every day in all kinds of s settings. Sometimes it's in the context of work. Sometimes it's with my kids. Sometimes it's with my wife. Sometimes it's watching TV. And there's something happening. It could be around racism. It could be around poverty. It could be around all of these constructs, these stories that we live with that are all affecting us in different ways. Sometimes we, we get angry. Sometimes we feel fear. Sometimes we feel sadness. Sometimes we feel nothing when we should be feeling something. But it's the noticing of that and the allowance of whatever is present in your consciousness right now to be, right? To take it as the truth and then align yourself to it.
we've unpacked a lot there. And mm. what, what I'm curious about is I'm seeing the enlightened version of JS in front of me. Mm. I wonder where this began. So yeah. take me back to conversations around the dinner table in your household when you were growing up. What I remember of my childhood are less moments. There are a few moments, but it's more the things that I was doing and what I've heard other people tell me about how I was. My mom told me I was a very sensitive child. I had to sleep with her and my dad like for many years. And then I had asthma as a kid and bronchitis and all of that. I had to take all kinds of stuff and go to the hospital to clean my lungs. So there was a really difficult childhood from that perspective. Now, both like very caring, loving parents, no physical abuse, no verbal abuse either. And, and I think that's a difficulty with trauma is that sometimes we don't accept the difficult parts of our lives as traumatic because we didn't get beaten and, and other people have. But really trauma is really not getting unconditional love when you expect it. That, that's what trauma is. And trauma happens every moment of every day in all of us. And we are all, because we live in this society, this culture that is anchored in fear and separation, so as a result, we're always in, in these situations where we're not quite in harmony or we are not quite in connection with whatever it is that we are doing, whoever we are with. There's always this notion that we have to defend something or we have to be perceived or seen in a certain way. And that, that is really uh, what I would call trauma. It's this idea that we are separate from the world that we live in. If I go back to as a child, I ended up spending my life living the life of others. And not in a, I didn't feel like a victim per se, but like I played hockey, for example. But that wasn't necessarily my thing. Now it became my thing. I made it my thing through a force of will. I was doing hockey 12 months a year, but it really wasn't my thing ultimately. And same with school, like in, in, I was good in school, but not because I was excited about the way the school system was working and what I was learning necessarily. I was doing it because this is how I was getting attention. So getting good grades, being good in sports, those were the things that were getting me attention. Now I didn't realize any of this, but that became a pattern in my life of really not spending a lot of time inside trying to understand what I wanted and what my needs were, but really paying attention to the way other people behaved and learning what I had to do, how I could manipulate them to get what I wanted. So, you know, the dinner table for me as a kid, my dad was on the phone the whole time because he was running the hockey league for like he was giving his time to run a hockey league, touched the lives of hundreds of kids over his life. You're not related to that Cornway, are you? I'm not. No, it would be <laughs> nice for a great story. I was, wait a minute. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, for those that don't know, Yvonne Cornway was a giant figure in the National Hockey League. 
He was a famous player for the Montreal Canadiens of the 1960s and 70s. Won 10 Stanley Cups. I digress. So my dad was physically present, but completely absent. Mm -hmm. And that became me. I was, I ended up being the same person for my kids. So now I was even less present than he was, although he did work a lot of overtime. He wasn't always there, but he was always there for hockey. But I ended up like having a similar relationship with my kids where I was the purveyor. I was the provider. So I had this deep sense of duty, but I was not present. There was a distance between me and them and an immense amount of judgment around how, like I was seeing my failures as a person and as a dad through some of their struggles. Hmm. And I had, a, I had an idea the same way my parents had an idea about what I would become. They, were not, they weren't pushing me to be a doctor or anything like that. They just wanted me to be successful. And their definition of successful was, I'm going to go to college and I'm going to study. And I'm, so all like great things, like society wants that. But was that what I was here for? And I never got to ask myself the question until I was in my 40s. Now, there were moments in my life where I had really tough experiences that got me to question how I was doing. For example, in my, um, in my mid-20s, I did two startups. Both of them were failures. And during the first bubble, so the 1999, for those right. who are for some of your young listeners. And at that time, life had been pretty good, good in sports, married, high school sweetheart, was three years older than me, beautiful, amazing woman, couple kids, gone through college with good grades, like a good, now the appearance of it was good. The actual experience of it was was another story, but I did two startups, both failures, and when after the second, I, we, I sold the last one to the investor, but just for the money they had invested. So, you know, it was really a complete uh, disaster from a financial perspective for me. I sort of had a moment of realizing how I'd spent three years of my life, but really all of my life up to that point, I had nothing to show for it. Not mm-hmm. even friends. Like, I... I was really an asshole to other kids in college. I had a a small group of friends, but not that many. And then when I did the startup, these startups, I was really treating people as a means to an end, very transactional in my behavior. I didn't really have a lot of people that I interacted with other than my my partner in that startup that I could go back to and say, these people are going to want to work with me in the future. So I'm like, what the fuck? Like this story that I've been telling myself about how I needed to be to succeed in the world, which really wasn't my story, but it was the story that was driving all of my life and decisions and behavior. I was like, that, is that really who I am? So I would say that's probably the first moment of awakening, which wasn't a spiritual experience at all, but it was more an awakening to morality. So what kind of person, what kind of human being do I want to be? How do I want to behave uh, what kind of impact I want to leave in people after I, I meet with them. So I, that's when I started. I mean, I did read 
a few personal transformation books, The Tao of Physics and The Power of Now, which I didn't get. Like mm. I read the book, I was like, what do you mean like being living in the now? Like I'm in the now, I'm right here. Like I didn't understand the meaning of being present in the body, in sensations versus living in the mind through the conceptualization of the world versus the living of the world. But I, I did start a process of being more open to new perspectives and to basically create a, a box, a framework, values, basically, a set of values mm -hmm. that I wanted to start abiding. And in, in that process, I would say, led me to another moment of awakening, which was when I had my first financial success. So I was part of a startup that was sold and... I now had some, I didn't make enough money to retire, but enough to have a you know, good level of financial freedom. And a year into that, I, I was like, wow, like I've, I have a beautiful wife, five kids, some friends, like people that I have drinks with and stuff, some money, a great career, and I still feel empty. Like I still, like it, there's this void in my, my being, what's going on? And in that moment, I realized that I didn't really have any real friends. There was no one in the world that knew how I felt in this moment because I just realized it in a way, but there was, I, I was also scared of going to the people around me, the closest to me to share how I felt with because of everything I would have to unpack with them. So there was just a, a deep desire of protecting the different identities that I had with each of these relationships. The solution version of JS was like, maybe you can start opening up to strangers. And that's when I started to really be authentic in new interactions. So even in the context of work, or a cocktail party, basically just answering questions with authenticity. You, our first interaction together, you would, you probably would have asked me the first thing you said is, "How are you?" And if I would basically answer that question by saying, "I feel so so today," if that was the case, right? And then if the person stepped into that by asking a follow up like, "What's wrong?" Then I would say, "Ah, I had a." interaction with my daughter this morning and made me feel like a horrible dad and then continue stepping into that and then what i realized with these interactions is that really quickly the people I, I was with would open up to me as well so they would share their lives with me some of the things that so i, I started feeling this deep sense of connection with with these people like in a 15 minute 30 minute an hour conversation and the, and that's how I, I really built the firm. Like the, my contribution to Real Ventures really came at, in that phase where I was being outwardly focused and I was meeting people and just like really building great connections. And now what I, I did not realize at the time is that I was still in a way faking it. And what I mean by that is all these new relationships, I, I would be authentic with them but not going deep. This was just like sharing how I feel right now. I'm not unpacking my entire life. Like I, I had not done anything wrong to these people 
So it was very easy to do that. But what my mind started to do is it started to identify with JS, the compassionate guy, JS, the authentic guy, and started using that lens to judge everyone else in my life. So all the people that I couldn't connect with, the people closest to me, my partners at work, my wife, my kids, my parents, my brothers, my friends, like I could not connect with them because they were broken, not because of me. I was authentic and compassionate. So this basically drove me to distance myself even more from my core and to be more externally focused to the point, and really this led me to, to a point of break where I was ready to blow up my entire life. Now, not kill myself, but blow up the partnership at work, blow up my marriage and the family, like all of it mm -hmm. was up for, I was ready because I, I was like, this is, I have all these crazy people in my life and I'm this, I'm this amazing, like what the fuck, I can't, so I'm, I start to see myself as the source of friction in these systems too. Like I was creating suffering for other people. Like my, my wife was suffering. I was like, I'm just the reason for that. I don't want that. Mm -hmm. Same in the context of work. I was always, I felt like a source of friction. And then around that time, I, I went to Burning Man. And I think Burning Man is a, it's this city that gets built once a year. Now it gets to about 70,000 people where it's a, you know there's no money gifting economy and where people show up as the most open the most true as they have access to now there's a lot of partying that right so it's not it's not perfect so I'm not saying that burning man is the solution but I think what burning man did to me is it created the environment in which I showed up And I got sucked in. So I could no longer be JS. I had to be something else because JS was just not fitting. And it took me a few days. Like the first couple of days, I basically didn't sleep. I was just going around and, and exploring. And, but ultimately, what I learned at this, at, as this Burning Man is the main thing was that there's someone who asked me what my purpose was. And I didn't even know what purpose I, i didn't know what purpose meant so i asked them like what how does one find their purpose what's your purpose is why you're here okay well how does one find it and he said you are realizing your purpose when you are at peace when you feel joy when you feel in harmony when you forget time like these moments of flow that's when you are realizing your purpose so just go back in your life and look at the moments where you feel this way and whatever you're doing in those moments, whoever you're doing with, how you're doing it, it relates to your purpose. And, and then I had a few like interactions while I was there where I, I allowed myself to be vulnerable, but on a deeper level. So not just staying at the surface and where I laughed and I cried like I had not done like in my entire life, mm. just these beautiful experiences of deep connection And, and then in the fall of that year, I, I had a, a breakdown. So I had, a, you call it a depression, like for a couple of months, I was crying every day and I still went, I still kept going to work every day. 
because I couldn't like I could not go to work. But I would go in, be a zombie, and then come back and I'd sleep and cry. And and that like lasted for a couple of months. So I'd say that was a part of the awakening as well. And the crying was really around the fe- like fear of completely losing my sense of self. I, I started to grieve there the ideas that I had about what it meant to be successful, what it meant to be a, a good husband, a good father. So I, I started to cry out a lot of these stories, really starting to take responsibility for the friction that I had in my life. And, and then ask myself, I spent a year asking myself about the purpose, and I realized that really why the, the things I enjoyed the most was when I, I, I was able to create this safe space for others to share their lives with me and really have a deep connection, so deep level of trust. And which I now is just, it's just the state of presence. It's just, can you be with what is? And when you can be with what is, then the magic happens. There's this beautiful flow. People feel safe and the healing of our stories and patterns can happen. And then the, the year after I went back to Burning Man and that second burn, I basically went with this, this paradox. I want to be this person who creates a safe space for others to be themselves and I'm not that person for the people closest to me. And I don't know why. So can I get answers? And I'm, I'm going to completely surrender. And through the week, like I just, I, re, I, I really opened my heart. So I was basically just being more and more open and authentic. And, it, and it's as if every interaction that I was having was taking me deeper. And I was allowing it to go deeper. And it's in that, that like, towards the end of the week that I, I had... A, and I was asking for it. Like I was asking for the solution. And then I went to a camp. I didn't believe in any of this stuff. And I, and I don't know if any of this is true. But basically, it's a camp that was anchored in Aboriginal traditions, First Nation traditions. And they, you had people there that were channeling the Grand Spirit. And you could communicate with them. So I didn't really believe in it. But I, I was like, I'm in surrender mode. So I'll just allow it. And I shared the paradox and the grand spirit came back and asked a question. They said, if love could be brought into your life, would you want to start over? So change your life completely and all of your relationships or bring love into your existing life. And I chose to, I said, I want to bring love into my life. And then that night I had my first spiritual experience, which was a just a radical shift in perspective. So really stepping out of the separation, the JS construct, and in in a way, in a visceral way, because this is not like this knowing or seeing it is not something you analyze. It's more or you see with your eyes. It's more a deep knowing. I I saw a lot of the moments in my life and but from that perspective of this the, the, the oneness, the unconditional love. So I was able to forgive at some level a lot of the people that I was blaming for my suffering and, and really see them as really the mirror. So they were just being difficult with me because I wasn't paying attention, I wasn't listening. They were trying to bring me back to myself. And uh, now they were doing it with anger. They were doing it with violence like words and but that's because i was so completely unconscious 
that I needed that that intensity. And really that was the beginning of a much deeper transformation because from there I experienced a high state. It's like a it was like a peak experience. Mm-hmm. And and that uh, got me to change my values and and really framework. Now I was still I would say stuck in construct, so I, I had a phase and a lot of folks in, in the Canadian startup scene have experienced the JS like that. And my wife in that phase, she was calling me Jesus because I was basically talking about love all the time. And I was still, I would say, using the love framework as a judgment. I would look at people and try to save them. So I had a story that they could be X, Y, and Z. And I, I was going to save them because I knew because I was there. And it's really the, it will be, I think, my three-year anniversary at the end of this year when I started to meditate, which to me, meditation is really just being present with what is. So it's it's shifting from analyzing the world to just being with the world from a existential sensations perspective. So feeling the body, hearing the sounds, seeing the space smelling the smells and tasting the taste, but without analyzing them, just being with them. And your experience becomes just this flow of sensations. So to once I started to meditate, then I really was able to, to start noticing the stories and really get into the radical responsibility. So I am radically responsible for my entire experience. And I think that's where the, you you talk about courage, your show's about courage. And I had this conversation with my wife this morning. That's where courage comes in because so easy and it'd been my entire life. I blamed everyone else or Mm -hmm. I blame myself even. It's hard to take responsibility. Yes. But there's always an opportunity to do. And once you start doing it, you can, you build the muscle, right? Because you see that the results Mm -hmm. are, it's transformation. What does living a courageous life mean to you? Yeah, it, to me, it means it's to, to take responsibility for my experience. Ultimately, whatever I'm experiencing right now in this present moment is the truth. It cannot be false because it's here. We're experiencing it together. So if, I'm, if I can't experience it as the truth, if it's not smooth, if then it means that I'm resisting it, like I'm resisting the truth. If I'm resisting the truth, it means that I'm in my mind, I'm conceptualizing there is something, there's a story that I'm holding on to that is hurting my ability to accept what is. So the courage is to accept that, is to say, okay, it is not about what I'm experiencing. It's not you that is generating this friction. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You could be screaming at me. You you could be calling me an asshole. You could be trying to kill me. Whatever it is that is happening right now, if I cannot accept it, it means that there is something, a story, a thought, a concept, a construct, whatever it is, that is preventing me from being completely, fully present, accepting what is. Mm. And I 
I always, when I notice it, and ultimately at some point you notice it because the friction keeps building. And, and here I'm talking about in my experience, I'm not suggesting that this is everyone's experience, but in my experience, the level of friction I'm experiencing with the moment will increase as I refuse to accept it. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's easy, right? Once I've accepted that, it, it's, it's easier. It's always painful, but painful in the sense that I cry a lot and I feel a lot. So I feel these different sensations, like people would call them, sometimes it's anger, sometimes it's fear, I would say, but for me, it's mostly sadness. Sadness is the emotion that I've resisted the most in my life. So as a result, it's built up in my body and it, it, that's, it's the one that's coming out the most. But what I've realized is that when I, I accept it, like sadness feels amazing, like it's blissful when I don't try to resist it. Mm. That's a tough one. So I may be taking you back a little bit, but yeah. one of my questions is what event in your life has had the most profound impact on you? And you've spoken about a number of different things that might be a good example, but what would your answer to that question be? I mean, I'm tempted to say this moment. And I can't point to a specific moment when I realized that this that we are sharing right now is all there is. And that anything else the past, the future, they're just stories that we experience in the present moment. But the one that was the closest was probably the, the one when I, I had the shift in perspective because that's the one that gave me a new lens. Now, it took another six months before that new lens became the experience of presence and it, it, it was really the meditation practice that got me there. But there, I can't point to a specific one because it's a gradual. It's every day, I become more aware of my consciousness. Every day, I dissolve stories. And as I dissolve stories, then the reality becomes clearer. You know what I mean? And, the, mm -hmm. and, and there are things that I see, and th these are mostly behaviors and, and stories that I didn't see before. Mm -hmm. And I feel more connected to my consciousness. So the, the sense of self, the, the idea of JS is dissolving. So I feel more like you, right? Like I am you in a way, and I am my wife, and I am all of these other things that I'm experiencing a lot more. But I can't point to one moment when that shift to being present right now, focusing on this moment, became my main reality. And how has that choice that you made to bring love into your life, how has it changed your relationships with the people closest to you and, yeah. and how have they changed in relation to you? Yeah. So the first change was to take responsibility. So as I became aware of my patterns and stories and like, and some people call them shadows, the fact that 
I was lying, I was manipulative, I was distant, like whatever word you want to use, I was a liar, you know, like and all the things that I did as a result that were hurtful to other people. As I was becoming aware of these things, I was sharing them with the people that I did these things to. So it was a basically taking radical responsibility, but not just by myself in the meditation room, but actually with the people. And these are mostly the pe- people closest to me. So my wife, my brothers, I was a big brother, but I was never there for my, my brothers. I was never present for them. My wife, my kids, my partners at work, but not in a context of this is what I'm responsible for, but just really one-way street of this is how I contributed to my experience, and I'm sorry, and I'm sorry that I hurt you. And, and I, so I did that with the people at work, but also at home. And so I would say that was the biggest shift because imagine being with someone for 10 years, let's say some of my partners, and there is a, there's a person, like that partner of yours, he's the devil. Like you hate him. He's hurt you and your wife and all of that, like through things that he said, and he's the main source of suffering in your life. And then he comes to you and he says, I'm sorry. Like I take full responsibility. And then he lists all the things, not all, but a, a large number of things that were really hurtful to you. So he acknowledges your suffering and he takes responsibility. That's, that creates a massive shift mm-hmm. in your life because you can no longer hold on to a bunch of these things anymore. Like you're forced into a forgiving mindset. Now you may not be ready to forgive, but you're being pulled in. It's like there's a black hole next to you and now you're resisting love. And so that, that's what started to happen in my life is as I was opening up, as I was taking responsibility, as I was forgiving, really all the time, like you would call me, up, call me on anything and I, w- I would take it. Like I, in the context of work, for example, I sat down with the nine senior people at the firm and this was it's one of my partners who asked me to do this. And the purpose of the, the meeting was to, for them to tell me how I made them feel. Oof. And it started slow, but then for two hours, they all shared, you know, and some were crying. Some were like, some said that they feared me. Some felt they felt, they felt shame in relation to some of the things I was saying. But it was, and I was ready when it happened. I was able to hold space and not resist any of that flow. And that was just an amazing experience because I finally knew who I was in that context. Mm-hmm. Because what I think I am is not the truth. What I think I am is a story. And that story is built on all of the the patterns from, from childhood. What the people, these nine people that I work with every day, they have the truth of what I'm like in that environment. But is it not their truth as well? Because those people bring their stories, their baggage, their they're with you. And so you're playing out yeah. this, like you say, this story. Uh, yeah. You are now shedding a skin of, yes. of the old JS. Yes. And they've still got their part in, 
in a story that you had co-created. And I think of someone who's gone through AA or alcoholism or drugs or something yes. like that. And part of that process is owning the hurt that they've perpetrated upon others that yes. they've created. I'm interested how challenging it is because now I have to trust you. I have to trust this new version of you. And as you say, if you're, if shame and hurt and anger, all of those emotions have been a part of that relationship, it's challenging to actually break through that and actually now create a new relationship, a new story. No, th thank you for that. For me, it's been about creating the space. So as a, my presence in all the systems that was a part of was an oppressing presence. Mm -hmm. Now, I never said a word. Like, I never openly criticized people or used anger or any of that. But I had, my, my anger for me was resentment. And I was very judgmental of myself and very judgmental of others. I was using that lens to judge others. So people felt my presence as oppressing. And that's what I heard when I listened. That's what I heard. And I wasn't very open either. And... I was very self-righteous around my stories. Now, these are not unusual traits of human beings, mm -hmm. but it's one thing to be able to accept it, to be able to say, fuck, this is how I'm being perceived. Can I own it? Can mm -hmm. I accept it? It's the acceptance of it without any desire requirement for the other this is not about who's right or wrong this is about i want to be free from all these stories so when the world tells me i am this way if it's true because they are true like it's their experience so if this person fears me they really fear me they are feeling fear in my presence them telling me that is a gift it's love because by telling me they are exposing themselves to repercussion, mm -hmm. right? They're, they're basically telling the person they fear that they fear me. And if I want to manipulate them, I could just fear them more. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's about receiving that as a gift and allowing it to be true. It's, it's, and it's by allowing it to be true that it, it gets transcended. So it is not about JS is X, Y, and Z. No, it's, it's about... I am not any of these things. Ultimately, my true nature is not any of these things, but I identify with those things. So I'm going to accept that. And as I accept it, and again, this is, it's not really an action. It's more about not resisting. So I'm not going to defend the position. I'm not going to convince this person that really it, it's his stories. No, no, no. If he's feeling fear, then that means there's fear in the system. It's energetic. It's emotions. It's sensations. And I'm just going to feel those sensations. And, and it's through that process that all of these stories dissolve. And as mm -hmm. they dissolve, they don't just dissolve in me. They dissolve in all the people that are part of the system. So my life now, like I went from being the source of fear in all the systems in my life to being the source of space, of, of safety, of love. Mm. And 
and, and it doesn't come as a result of looking at someone and say, oh, you need to meditate, or I did that for a while. It's just by being present and really, as I feel called, sometimes I say stuff all the time, but I only say something when I'm being called. When someone is asking me for advice, or then I will. Otherwise, I'm just there being present and then paying attention to, to the sensations. Hmm. What would you do on your last day? Oh, my last day would be like this one. There'd be no difference. Like the rest of my life will be like this. Now, the content of it will change. You know, it changes every day. But my experience of it doesn't. Is there anything special that you would want to do on that last day? I trust that whatever I end up doing on the last day is what is meant to be. Like I'm, the more I surrender to what is, the more I realize that it's all like, it's all flowing. It's all perfect. Mm-hmm. And I'm, and JS is serving a role in there, but everyone is. And because JS meditates doesn't mean that his role is bigger. A lot of my awakening comes as a result of the mirrors that I have in my life. And those mirrors are, are the people closest to me who really suffered the most in a way through their experience. But they are also my guardian angels. Like they are showing me where I'm still holding on to, to these stories. So I would say right now, this, if I was to go right now, this is, I'm, these are the people that I'm spending time with. Mm-hmm. If I go in 30 years, I don't know in which circles I will be in 30 years. But I trust that when I go, it was meant to be and it will, it will be perfect. Mm-hmm. Now, I may not understand it, you may not understand it. On a deeper level, on a visceral level, it will be perfect. And what's your legacy? I don't know. I, I don't care. What would you like it to be? Yeah. I, I would say that if I can contribute to getting people to awaken to their true nature so that they can be at peace regardless of circumstances... I would say that would be the story that I'm still holding on to a little bit mm. is to is for this life to contribute to that on a whatever scale that that makes sense but I don't spend much time anymore thinking about that and legacy and I'm really more focused on now. Mhm. Sometimes people are are concerned that the difference between doing and being and that being means you do nothing. No, I mean, I'm doing stuff all day. I'm here having a, a call with you right now, but I'm not doing it from a place of doing. I'm doing it from a place of being like I was asked to be on this you know, mm-hmm. through an interaction with a friend. So I said, yes, like I, I just say yes. And now I'm here and I'm, I'm paying attention to my sensations and I'm trying to be present as much as I can to serve this moment with you right now, not knowing where it leads. And it could lead nowhere or it could lead somewhere. Maybe one person reads it, like listens it and has something, but I'm completely at peace with that. There's no specific intention other than being present now. Yeah. 
If you had the opportunity to have a five-minute conversation with someone living or dead, who would that be? A five-minute conversation with someone? I'd probably split it in two, two and a half minute conversations. So I'd like to have one with the Buddha mm. or Jesus. I'm not 100% sure. And then another one with Hitler. Okay. There's a contrast. Yeah. And the reason is I would, yeah, I'd love to experience their consciousness. Yeah. And just see what, like how we would feel to be in their presence. Because they're, they're like extreme ends of, like, if we look at existence in the polarity, they're, they're extreme unconsciousness and extreme consciousness. So to experience both and see if there's a difference would be interesting. I'm assuming you're th saying that Hitler was unconscious. So he was unconscious to his true nature. He was conscious to his story. So he had a set of stories. And like he, for example, he believed that he was saving the world by executing his plan. And I'm not suggesting that maybe that was manipulative, although a, a lot of the a lot of the movies and stuff about him, like he really believed that, but he was unconscious to his true nature. So he was basically in the mindset of changing the world to fit my story. So, so this is the opposite of being at peace with, in regardless of circumstances. This is, I, I will only be at peace when I have full control over my circumstances. Whereas the true nature experience is one where you are at peace regardless of, of the situation. The earth could be on fire, but you would still feel peace within it. And you would, on the visceral level, it will be harmonious. So those are the two extreme experiences. Mm. And I would say I spend most of my life on the trying to control my experience, my circumstances. And when I had the awakening, I, I started to make my way back towards the center and then towards the other side, which is really the dissolution of the stories. So when you have any stories, you are at peace with what is, whatever that is. To experience the extremes of that spectrum over the course of five minutes, I think would be, would be interesting. I mean, it could be Genghis Khan as well, but any figure that basically tried to change the entire world and almost got there to fit their story. Is there anyone who has been a source of inspiration for you? And perhaps we've just answered that question, but someone who's, it's a quote that you go back to, you spoke of earlier and yeah. the power of now. Presumably that book resonates with you more now than it did when you first read it. Yeah. I. It's interesting. I've never really had like specific guides or coach or I always learn on my own. But I would say, even now, like what I've realized is that for me, the guide is the present moment. So everyone is a guide, right? And so using that perspective, the person in my life that has helped me the most is my wife. Mm. Because we spent 30 years together, and she's the one who is holding me accountable consciously or not, like 
calling me every single time I'm not present. She has a way of telling me, and that is all I need because I just want to be present. So she is my best guide. And she happens to be the person that I spend the most time with, which is mm-hmm. wonderful. <laughs> and perhaps um, lucky. <laughs> yeah. And, and then like my partners at work, like, like John, who was my, I looked at him as my nemesis. And I learned so much from him because he was my nemesis. And the moment I allowed that to be teaching, to allow it to be true, then it was, oh my God. And so my kids are the same. Like it, I think and I'm not judging anyone else's path when I say this, but for me, I read a few books and yes, there's some quotes. And I think there are a lot of good messages out there, but ultimately life is like each instance of life and each of us is unique mm-hmm. to every moment of experience that we've had our way back to our true nature is unique. So these things can be helpful, but ultimately the, it's all about paying attention to your experience. It's to go away from conceptualizing your experience to just fully, completely experiencing it directly. And there are no books or no guides or no special person. Yeah, they can point to it, but ultimately it's just about feeling your your body, feeling your experience mm-hmm. and allowing it to be true. So when when you feel like crying, you cry. When you feel anger, you experience it. That doesn't mean you cry, you, you, you yell at someone, but you feel the anger. You let it propagate in the body. When you feel anxiety, you let it, you sit with it. You don't try to push it down. You just allow it. And it's through that full experience of yourself that you dissolve the stories and you harmonize your experience and fully, completely realize the purpose of this life. Mm. Beautiful. Do you have any questions for me, something I've asked you or anything else you'd like to ask before we wrap up? How are you? I am on the precipice, on a precipice. Mm. Yeah. And like you in 2018, I started a, well, I would say a boulder. <laughs> I was going to mm. say a small pebble rolling down a hill. I, I pushed a large boulder. So the impact of that is still being felt in my life. And in a positive way, there have been very difficult moments of reconciling the damage because unlike you, I chose the path of setting the dynamite and running. Mm-hmm. And so that I'm continue to feel. And it was a choice that I made at that time. Would I yes. have, uh, would I do it differently now? I'm not sure. No, I would say not. I think I'm, I, I think I know that I'm happy with the way my life is going now. And it was a necessary redirection of my life. Mm-hmm. So that's how I'm doing. Thank you for the question. Mm. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we, we wrap up? No. This has made me reflective for sure. Made mm. me think about how we are in every moment making choices to remain present, choices to 
think about something else, go off somewhere else, choices to react in a particular way, interpret mm. what is being said to fit our yeah. own particular narrative and the generosity of just listening, the courage of just being is underestimated, I think, in our mm. very busy life. Something you said earlier made me think about my own choices and how sometimes I think I define courage as action. Yeah. And that isn't necessarily the most courageous thing to do, thinking to the meeting mm -hmm. that was convened and yeah. sitting there and simply listening and not responding, not reacting to what was being said or offering a counterpoint or counterpoint of view to mm -hmm. what was being said to you. Yeah. is tremendously courageous and to owning your owning your behavior is immensely courageous. I had a chat with my wife this morning about mm -hmm. courage mm -hmm. as a result of us doing this call and it was about a, a difficult relationship that she has mm -hmm. and she's sort of thinking about leaving the the group as a result of this other person. Mhm. Mm and, uh, and when we talked about current, someone else exists in you. Not everybody wants to hear that. And mm -hmm. I didn't want to hear it, I know, before. But we had a conversation about that last night. Didn't go well. And now this morning, it, it, it's just, it just resurfaced. And the courage means different things to different people. Our experiences are all the, different. So whatever I ended up doing doesn't mean that it's the same that you we're supposed to do whatever you did you had to do to learn what you're here to learn to process like your life mm -hmm. has been perfect up to now like we may not see it as perfect but at some point you will see it mm -hmm. but what we ended up talking about is why is she leaving the group ultimately because it is courageous to leave because for her she's stuck in difficult situations before and she's really being mistreated here but why is she leaving? And she's leaving, and again, these are her words, because she didn't want to completely fully say how she feels in the presence of this other person. She didn't want to go to that point of making herself vulnerable. And that's why she was leaving. So through this conversation, she realized on her own that courage meant just being authentic. Like it's the truth. Courage is being truthful. Can you be truthful in this moment? Whether you leave or not, it's not as relevant. That's more content. Like whether you are in relationship with someone or not. No, can you own the truth? Can you really truly feel the emotions that are tied? to this thing. So this person is triggering something in you. You can allow yourself to feel it completely and fully. And that's why to me, I look at decisions in a different way now. I allow the decisions to make themselves. I focus more on the flow of energy. So whatever I'm feeling right now, I'm allowing it to be. So I still cry every day. In meditation, I cry every day. But it's the release of stuck emotions. 
And that's all I see. My The content of my consciousness is only there to help me unlock these energy knots, these emotions. And whatever happens, the decisions that get made, they're just, it's just the flow of life. So for you, it would be like, are there still stories? Are there still emotions that are tied to these moments, these events, these decisions that you have yet to completely, fully allow to exist and be true? Have you felt all the feels? And you don't need to answer, but that's the, you know, and can you sit with it and just allow yourself, if you have not done it yet, to completely, fully release it? And then trust that whatever comes up as you do that, as you empty yourself of this, whatever comes next, it's a gift, but it's, it's, an, it's the unknown, right? So if, if you ask me what, I'm, what I'll be doing in five years, I have no idea, but I'm at peace with that. I feel like we could talk all afternoon. Thank you for doing this. My pleasure. I appreciate this conversation very much. My pleasure. Anytime. While JS did not offer a favorite quote, I did come across this one from Gabor Mate as I was working on the episode. It seemed fitting. We may not be responsible for the world that created our minds, but we can take responsibility for the mind with which we create our world. JS and I spoke for this episode in late November 2021. In reaching out to him recently, I shared the following with him. My constant companion of the past six years, my dear dog Nani, died this week quite suddenly. She was born with a weak heart, but with a strong conviction to live life fully. She has left me to carry that torch, and I sometimes have a hard time with that. It is appropriate that I'm hearing your words of being present with my emotions at this time of grief. I schedule my episodes in a seemingly haphazard way, or that's the critical story I tell myself. But I think sometimes the stories tell me when I need to share them. Thank you for being with me that day a few months ago, and I look forward to sharing this episode. Thank you for listening. I am so grateful to have you here. Who in your life needs to hear JS's story today? please share it with them. To find JS, I will put his social media and website details in the show notes. To find other episodes of The Arena or to contact me directly, please go to the website, www.thearena-podcast.com. And I look forward to sharing my next guest story of fighting through life's hard lessons inside and outside of the ring. Until next time, my name is Linda McLaughlin in... The arena.